This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. So, Anthony, if you could share any piece of advice or give a pro tip to an up and coming individual in Toronto, in Canada, or, you know, anywhere in the world, really, that wants to do what you're doing, what would it be? Um, I would say, I would say that you really, you really got to be prepared to do what others won't mm, to, to be who, who others can't, right? Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We asked them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five. I know, I know, I know. But rather than talk about my guests' wins or successes, we talk about their failures, more specifically the lessons that they learn from those individual experiences. So with that being said, my guest today is currently the director of production at Fuse Create, which is a creative agency in Toronto that has worked with clients like Aaron Miles and Ricola, to name a few. He specializes in immersive experiences, storytelling, and helping brands make an impact in bringing people together. So without further ado, Anthony Mays, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, appreciate the intro there. Awesome. So, uh, Anthony, I, I know I just gave you a little bit of a lightweight intro, if I can call it that. So for my guests, for my audience that are being introduced to you for the first time, um, why don't you share a little bit more about who you are and what you do? And even if you can provide like perhaps where you got some inspo from, like where, where did where, how did you get started in this business? Where did that come from? Yeah, I can go through the the full story. So, um, in university, uh, I played I played football, and uh, I ended up doing what we call the victory lap. So I stayed stayed mm. another semester to play another season of football. So I kind of had I had the gap between Christmas and uh, and graduation in May, where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. You know, I'm not really a graduate yet. Can't get a can't get a job type of thing. Um, and so I was just trying to find work to kind of fill the space and. I saw an ad in the newspaper to show how long mm. ago it was. Old school. And, uh, <laughs> old school, you know, and I uh, replied to the ad and it was for a brand ambassador role. And mm. so um, I went in, had a meeting, got hired to be a brand ambassador for uh, Shit Quasho for Women. Mm-hmm. And so I, I essentially started out in the business uh, dressing up like a fireman and handing out uh, wow. the Shit Quasho for Women razor. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a weird, weird way to get in. Um, a good way in terms of like understanding kind of the groundwork and you know a lot of the base layers of things that I do. But um, I did that for like a summer and a bit, um, and ended up just like working my way up. I went from a brand ambassador to team lead to tour manager. Mm-hmm. Got myself an office as a coordinator. And then over the years, I, I worked myself up to uh, to a director. And up until about uh, five years ago, almost six years ago now, I guess. Um, I had been focused on like handling both the account side and kind of production side and in, in a right. dual part role. Uh, and then when I came over to Fuse, um, I've strictly just been focusing uh, on production and specializing in the experiential marketing side of things. 
And then about a year and a half ago, uh, we had someone leave our department and it left an opening for the other side of production, which is our like our broadcast, our digital, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, I was given the opportunity uh, to take over the whole department. And so I've been been running our whole production team uh, since then. Love it. I love that story, especially uh, given the fact of how you started with answering or applying to a role in the newspaper. For all the uh, Gen Zs that tune into the podcast, the newspaper is something that people used to read, <laughs> <laughs> just in case you guys are curious. Uh, also curious to know, what, what school did you go to and what position did you play in football? Uh, I went to uh, Acadia, so it's out east okay. in Nova, Nova Scotia, yeah, uh, and yeah. I, was a, I was a receiver. Nice. I love it. Yeah. I played a lot of I played one year of football in high school. I was a wide receiver. And I, to be honest, I did it just because I wanted to say years later that I played high school football. I was really a basketball guy, but I just wanted okay. to say I played high school football. That was it. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> it was it was many, many moons ago for me. I was much lighter, much faster. That's for sure. Likewise. Same here. Um, so, Anthony, let's get into this. So, cool. as a director of production, someone who specializes in bringing a brand's vision to life... What has been your biggest failure to date and why was it your biggest failure? And ultimately, how did you get through it and over it? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I ask a similar question when I interview people. Mm. Um, I, I phrase it a little bit different. And I ask, like, tell me a time where you messed up to the point where you thought you were going to get fired and how did you mm. handle it? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think I've had many little ones, many big ones. I think, you know, a lot of people try to pretend like, you know, you, you, uh, you can get to the top without failure type of thing, but it's right. just not possible. Um, so, you know, that I have had my mistakes along, along the ways, I would say the one that sticks out to me, uh, was, cause it's almost about a, almost about a decade ago now. Um, mm-hmm. I was working on a project for, uh, Disney was a client at the time. Right. And, uh, we were basically building these two floats for a parade and we were supposed to have two of these main characters and of course because it's disney there's a lot of um you know there's a lot that goes into it making sure that it actually fits up to the character specifics and a lot Mm -hmm. of approvals and all that kind of fun stuff um and i want to say about three weeks before uh we were supposed to be in the the parade um the gentleman that was making the floats for us just kind of disappeared Oh, wow. And so we were we were at a point where we were like, uh, like, where is he? Mm-hmm. Am I going to have to fly down to Florida to find him type of thing? Um, it turned out he had some some health issues. Mm-hmm. And so what we ended up doing is we had to scrap one of the planes mm-hmm. um, and I had to find someone else in that time to get this uh, to get the other plane essentially created. So I had to right. get this thing moved from Florida over the long weekends into Calgary uh, use wow. a vendor there, uh, end up being, you know, three, you know, I can't, I think I slept maybe an hour two hours over two, three days. Mm-hmm. Um, not just myself, a bunch of other people, right. um, to get just one of them done. Um, and it was so, although it ended up being okay in the end that we got one piece, you know, it was a failure in the aspect of like, we didn't deliver exactly what we said we were going to be able to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was, you know, a week before, it was at the point where it's like, this is like 99% not going to happen, you right. know? And it was like, there's no way that, you know, everybody at call was like, this is not going to happen. We're not going to be able to do this. Um, you know, you need to kind of give up type type of thing. Um, but somehow figured it out. And I think that like that piece of 
you know, failing early on in the, in the process and mm-hmm. not giving up as I'm going through it and, you know, not taking no from an answer from, you know, from anybody really, and just being comfortable enough to move on and f- try to find other solutions. And, you know, there are specific ways that you build these things and I won't get into like all the kind of details, uh, yeah. but given the timeline, we basically had to build it backwards <laughs> right? Um, in, in order to make it work in the timeline. And it was like kind of very, very makeshifty. Um, but it ended up working out in the end for that one, you know, for 50% of the project type of thing. So, wow. Wow. There's a lot there. So what would you say Anthony, yeah. is, is the biggest lesson you learned from that, from that particular experience? I mean, one of the main things was to check in more, to be less, mm. uh, <laughs> less yep. trusting of people for sure. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that, that was a big one. You know, I did right. my research, um, but, you know, you never know what could happen, right? And right. even people with the best intentions sometimes can let you down. Um, and so, you know, a big part was knowing what, you know, going into a project and looking at it for all of the possible scenarios of things that can go wrong. And it, it kind of sounds negative, but, right. um, you know, getting in there and, and being ahead in the thinking, at least, of how we're going to problem solve moving forward if X, Y, Z happens along the stage right. um, so that when things do happen, because at some point something happens, you right. kind of have a, you have a plan of action and you don't, you don't have to react from a place of panic. Right. Um, you know, you're, 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 you're prepared. Right. Right. So having a contingency plan. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And I think, especially like the part that you called out about, you know, um, kind of checking in with people another way, I describe it in my world is just over communicating. You know, people might be annoyed by that, but it's just like I find, I don't know in your experience, especially today when we have so many different distractions that people don't read as much. So even though mm-hmm. you, you've clearly laid it out in an email, you know, it, it often gets missed. And I get it because everyone's bombarded and like yourself, they're wearing many different hats. So it's kind of easy to kind of miss things. So I find over communicating is a, is a great way to kind of minimize those kind of mishaps and i don't think there's really a way to prevent big such uh big catastrophes like that but like i think there's definitely ways that we can all uh employ to minimize those type of um bad situations if you will yeah absolutely and you never know what people are going through on the other side of things too right like you know there's what's you know the most important thing in the world to you maybe bottom of the list for someone else. Right. Right. And so you got to find that balance between things. And, you know, that's part of, you know, in my job choosing, you know, kind of the right, the right partners, you know, a lot of people, you know, say vendors and et cetera, but I'm like, to me, it's, it is really a partnership because, you know, you're in the end, you know, you're, they're often responsible for what the final output, you know, is going to look like. Right. Um, And then my name's on that too. Right. So like we're in this, we are in this together, you know, um, you know, you fail, I fail type of thing. Right. So, right. No, hundred percent. No, I love the fact because I'm, I'm very big on words. I'm very conscious of the words I use, uh, especially over like email. Cause to me, words really matter. So something like you said, using the word partnership versus vendor that matters to me. I use it in the sense of rather than calling something a meeting, I'll call it like a collaboration session. Cause I feel like it has a different vibe and energy to it. And people's expectations are a little bit more in a positive direction than if you just were just to call it a meeting. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. It sets the mood. Yeah. It sets the mood properly. Yeah. 100%. I like that. Um, all right. So talk to me about your like day to day. What does a hard day look like for a director of production like yourself? Like 
What are some of the things you personally do to deal with challenges, uh, setbacks, and negativity, whether it be outside noise or just your own internal, you know, voices? Um, yeah, talk to me about that day, or what does that a day look like for you? Yeah, so uh, often my days aren't the same. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have I have some days where you know I'm in meetings for eight nine hours. Um, right. Uh, which is part of the, the fun things of the pandemic where you can just be mm-hmm. in back-to-back zoom meetings or team right. meetings uh you know you know now don't know bathroom breaks um but i can have that to you know i'm on you know on site at a shoot all day or i'm on site uh you know building getting a, a you know a setup ready for an event um right. so my, my days aren't very uh, typical they can kind of fluctuate all, all over the place i think you know for me when i have a hard day is when like those those avenues kind of intersect with each other and I'm trying to be, I need to be in multiple places at once, you know, when we have, mm-hmm. you know, we have a shoot in one location an event setting up here. Uh, right. But then we have like a big client presentation the same day, that kind of thing. Like those, those days are the days that are like super difficult for me. There's just like a lot of, um, you right. know, getting pulled in a lot of directions uh, right. I'll say. And then, you know, so for me in those situations, I just try to, it's, it's about planning ahead mm-hmm. as like, you know, as, as far ahead as I possibly can. And then proper communication, you know, of like talking to my team and seeing who can step in in certain places, you know, understanding where and why I'm actually needed in certain positions um, to decide, you know, what is actually going to be on the priority list because, you know, sometimes people want me in a meeting just because it's a comfort, you know, a comfort Mm -hmm. level thing for them or the client. Um, but really I'm just there to nod my head and be like, yes, yeah, that makes sense. That's doable. Um, whereas, you know, they may need me on site because, you know, you know, my skills with being able to do things with my hands is more important in that situation. So, you know, kind of balancing those things out, um, can be difficult at times. Um, thankfully I'm, I'm fortunate that I do have a really good, good, strong team around me. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that helps. And I don't feel like if I'm not in a place that things can't, can't get done. Right. And so in terms of difficulty, what would you say is the most difficult thing about what you do holistically? I know you mentioned like, you know, sometimes having back to back meetings for like several hours can be difficult. But like, what ultimately would you say is the most difficult thing about what you do? Um, It's probably the thing I love the most, but it's also Mm. probably the most difficult in that, you know, it's it's my job to kind of bring people's ideas to life. Right. And so, you know, there's a heavy responsibility there, both from, you know, the client side and from, Mm -hmm. you know, our creative side of things. Um, And, you know, people want and they see things, but they can't always afford it (laughs) or, (laughs) (laughs) which which is a big one. Um, And, or we don't have the time to do it, you know, with the budget that they have type of thing. Right. And so the difficult part is, you know, getting people to understand that you know what is so important to them can't be done given our specific guidelines you know and i'm always mm-hmm. like i can do whatever you can imagine if i have enough time and i have enough money i love that right? answer. and it just maybe you may want to get to the moon you may want to get to mars to get you there it may not be in my lifetime but it can be done with the you know with the right amount of time and the right amount of money so right. um you know i i did that difficulty in getting you know, clients and sometimes creatives on that same, same level, um, is, is definitely the, the challenge, but it's also fun to be like, to go into those things and, you know, those people being nervous, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. clients being like, I don't know, uh, you know, the renderings, you know, maybe I just don't really feel it. I I don't know if it's actually going to come out. And like me, I'm like, 
I know exactly how this is going to look like you're going to be happy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when, you know, when you pull it off and you walk through the space with the clients, um, you know, or, or they see the video and they're like, wow, this is exactly what I wanted. You know, Mm -hmm. that is, it's a great feeling. It's like a wonderful piece. And so that's why it's like kind of, you know, ends up being, it's the hardest part and ends up being my favorite part in the end for the most part. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, so I'm also curious to know, because you've been talking about client facing a lot in this conversation thus far. So I'm also curious to know, how do you, like, what is your process to, for, I should say, handling a difficult client or a client that isn't happy with the work produced thus far? That's tough. (laughs) That's a tough question. Yeah, because I Um, ask that because it it happens all it happens all the time in our line of business. And just to give you kind of like um, a bit of uh, more information here, like so, I took a copywriting course at George Brown, like like maybe ten years after I graduated from from school, and I did it not because I really want to become a copywriter. I do have like a, a low key affinity for it, but I actually did it. Because I wanted to learn how to write better emails, specifically mm-hmm. in situations where I had to deliver bad news without it sounding like really bad news. So I know it's just something that always happens in our line of business. I'm just curious to know what your approach is in those type of situations. Yeah, I, I, in my younger years, I would say that you know my my focus was on trying to paint a picture or like mm-hmm. write you know write a story to it to try to you know soften mm-hmm. the blow. Um, I think as I've got older and I've gained more experience, mm-hmm. I try to just lead with, with honesty, mm, you know, and, and just being clear and transparent, uh, about, you know, what's happening, what's going on. You know, if something goes wrong, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, you know, let's not tell the client this, let's, let's keep this and that from them. But, you know, the, the more clear you are with the information, you know, mm-hmm. the usually, you know, some people aren't, the, you know, maybe some people aren't the best people, but usually good people are, you know, understanding of, of what right. happens, the more honest that you are, they don't feel, because I feel like people can feel when they're being lied to, when they're being, mm-hmm. you know, when information 1, is, percent. yeah, when information is being withheld. Um, and then, so when you get in those like tight corner situations, you know, you want to make that person feel, you know, as, as in the loop as humanly possible. Right. And so if you feel like you can't do something, you know, you got to be, you got to be honest about it. And if you feel like you can do it, then you gotta, you gotta be that, you gotta be that honest too. And so, yeah, I think it's just about being fully, fully transparent and kind of just got to suck it up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I agree. And one thing I'll just add to what you're saying to add to your intelligence is to be proactive in this situation as much as possible, as much as you can. Yeah. It's not always possible. Sometimes they'll find out before you do, but if you can, if you are able to, to beat the client to it and be like, listen, this is our bad. Here's the solution. Again, happy to jump on a phone, a quick call, uh, so on and so forth. But yeah, love everything you said um, right there. Yeah. You never be afraid to say that you made a mistake. You know, one thousand percent. Too often, you know, I, I tell people that I manage all the time. I'm like, don't hide anything from me. You know, mm-hmm. tell me the truth. If you made a mistake, just let me know, and we'll figure it out and we'll fix it together. Um, but it was when you hide it is where you create the problems. Right. Right, And it goes, it goes the same for, for, for dealing with the clients. Cause when they, to your point, when they find out at the last second Mm -hmm. or when it's too late, you know, um, you know, they can't prep because people have bosses too on their side, you know, they got people they got to answer to. So, uh, you got to help everybody along the chain down the line. 1000%. I love that. Um, so we're going to pivot here 
uh, for a second. Um, so, Anthony, would you say more often than not, you're the only person in the room that looks like you? If so, does that ever get to you, like in the form of imposter syndrome? I would say more often than not, I am. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, more often than not, I am the yeah the only person that looks like me in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of been it's been that way for you know most of my career. I'd say like I I could count, right. you know, count the number of people um, like on my hand that I've worked with, uh, especially like closely. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely like you know meet with people meetings here and there type of thing, but definitely people that I work close with. It's it's very rare. Um, you know the the imposter syndrome is um is it's an interesting one. I, you know, I feel, you know, I definitely feel like, um, you know, I've earned my keep and I, you know, I belong mm-hmm. where I, where I am. Um, right. but there is like this, you know, I'll say an added pressure of like, you know, feeling like you're the only representation of something to a group of people, mm-hmm. you know, that, that comes with that. So that like, you know, right. the, you know, when I make decisions, it's not, you know, everybody like that looks like me may not necessarily <laughs> make that same decision or feel that right. same way. Right. And, you know, I, if I, if I think back to, you know, the, the George Floyd times and, mm-hmm. you know, being the only black male in my office, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people came to me, have conversations and that, that sort of thing for, for insight. And right. it was like, I, I have my stories, you know, but my stories are unique to me. There are some similarities, of course. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it can be tough to kind of be that representation all throughout. Right. No, I I agree with you. And I can I can relate um, on certain aspects and certain levels as well. It's definitely um, it's always an interesting situation because uh, for me, kind of share a little bit about my experience. I've always struggled with, you know, uh, maybe toning down who I really am yeah. just because I've in, 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 in subtle ways, I've gotten a proverbial hand slap on the wrist, if you will. Um, making people feel uncomfortable, although that could be kind of coded language, you know what I mean? Yes, <laughs> so yeah, no, like, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's always an interesting space to 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 navigate, you know, when you, you're dealing with folks like us with our pigmentation. And um sometimes we could just be straight up in our own heads as well, right? Um yeah. And, yeah. and so it's like a delicate dance that we do. Um, so I'm always curious to kind of pick you know, professionals like yourself and on how you guys navigate being, you know, one of one or one of few in that space. And as a follow-up, let's talk about confidence for a second, because I know it's a, a thing that many people deal with in general, and especially people of our pigmentation when it comes to being one of few or the only person in the room. Now, I know they also say that you can't teach confidence, but wondering if you can share how you were able to build confidence in your abilities and who you are as a person. Yeah, I, I would say like I give a lot of credit to to my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I didn't grow up in the in the best of uh, scenarios, um, right. but I still had, you know, my my mom was always very much like you can do anything. You know, mm-hmm. she was never like there there are no limitations. Um, I have a, I have an older brother. I have two older brothers, but speaking of one older brother in particular, who's 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 eight years older, he was he's always always kind of in my corner and you know mm-hmm. when i couldn't do things when i was younger he was like you can do it you can do it keep pushing right. you know um and so like i think that kind of started the, the the base of building my own self-confidence mm-hmm. um and then you know being in those situations you know sometimes you can be like you know 
being poor and going to school, not having certain clothes or certain things like other people, you kind of kind of have to make a choice of being like, am I going to let this kind of stuff bother me? Or, you know, am I going to be able to be my own person and just kind of stand on my own too? And I feel like I, you know, in that process, I kind of forced myself to have confidence and um, projected it to the world first before I really had it in myself, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then it kind of just like stuck with me. And then, you know, when I started playing, uh, started playing football, you know, that, you know, that family, that team camaraderie, um, you know, that definitely helped with me. And, you know, being in a space where, you know, playing receiver, you know, it was what, 60, 70 plays a game. Yeah. If you have a really crazy game, you get in 10 catches. So, I mean, that's a small percentage of it. And like, you know, always needing to believe that you can make that big play when that time comes, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that helped kind of build that within me. And I've kind of taken that into other areas of my life as I've, as I've grown older, for sure. Right. No, I love that, especially the bit about sports, tying it back to sports. And I, I love the fact that you had some champions in your corner being your, your your brother and your mother. So I always feel like having that kind of, you know, support system, not where they're like completely protecting you from the world, where you're, you know, completely naive, but like giving you that kind of healthy dose of reality, but also giving you that type of encouragement to help you get over the hump. Because I feel like we all need people like that in our lives because- Sometimes I feel that um, we need others to see it in us before we see it in in ourselves. I feel like Mm -hmm. those situations do come up. And with sports in particular, I do know that there were some organizations, I don't know if they do it now, but they prefer to hire hire candidates that played sports, right? Team sports to be specific. Because one, it showed you that you could work together on a team. And two, that you could handle constructive criticism. You could also handle, you know, high pressure situations. There's a a variety of different positive outcomes when you get to play team sports. And, you know, for me, my mother put me in basketball. I was in track as well. I did a little bit of rugby, but like basketball was really like my love and passion. And I learned so much from that sport, like just everything that you just talked about right there as well. Yeah, I think it's a good, uh, it's a really good example and a really good point. Some of those, those skill sets, right. And there's, there's very, very few things that we do in our life that are in a complete silo, right. You Mm -hmm. know, we're going to be, you're going to be a part of a team in one way, shape or form. Right. And you're either, you're going to have a, you have a client, you're going to have a colleague. There's going to be people that need to give their feedback that need to, you know, incorporate and be a part of the success too. So, um, yeah, I, I love sports for that. I mean, obviously like I, you know, I, I played football probably, probably longer than I should as my niece <laughs> tell me, you know, as I'm approaching 40. Um, uh, but it taught me so much in that regard. Yeah. Listen, talking about the injuries, man, I, I just recently tore my Achilles. I'm week seven oh, in recovery, but here's, here's the crazy part. This is the second time in three years, different leg this time. So, <laughs> you know, uh, the basketball gods for me have officially spoken it's time wow. to shut it down. Like you, I'm approaching my 40s, currently 38. But it's just like, man, um, it's a sad, it was a sad moment when I pulled the second one. I was just like, man, I really have to walk away from this sport. But yeah. It's a it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible moment. I mean, all athletes get there at some point, one way or the other. But yeah, yeah I the Achilles is a is a tough one. Are they doing are you you getting the surgery or are they doing the um my sister? just got like had it done and they just said no surgery. Yeah. Like it's, it's able to heal. Yeah. Yeah. So I did non-surgical. I did it the first time too. The difference is, is there's minor differences. They say there's a, a less chance of re-injury when you do surgical, but it's like a difference of like 7%. But 
but like mm-hmm. there's also other like implications that happen when you do surgery but really the process is the recovery process is more or less the same maybe you shut off maybe two or three weeks if you do surgery but yeah i'm just going through that rehab process and i was like ah oh, here we go again but it is what it is it could be a lot worse though 100 percent. i wish i wish we were speedy recovery <laughs> i appreciate it man i appreciate it um so anthony if you could share any piece of advice or give a pro tip to an up-and-coming individual in toronto in canada or you know anywhere in the world really that wants to do what you're doing what would it be? Um, I would say, I would say that you really, you really got to be prepared to do what others won't mm, to, to be who, who others can't. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of people, you want these, you know, big titles and, and, and accolades and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they, it's kind of like they, you see the movie trailer without you know, realize, <laughs> and you're like, I want that, but like, you got to yeah. look to see what, what you, you know, what you have to go through in order to get there. And I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, realizing that it takes, you know, going into things, realizing that they take a lot of work and, right. you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, there's definitely a fine balance between, you know, you, you know, you don't want to be working you right. know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week type of thing. Right. Um, but you know, if you're working, working the same offering the same as everyone else you know you're not going to be able to get ahead right you need to find that advantage you know one way or the other so um yeah i think that would be you know i think that would be the the first thing i would say um and like earn it and work for it don't mm-hmm. expect the, the freebies or the handouts um it's gonna feel better in the end anyway when you earn it so yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you, you know what i love the fact that you you brought up that quote or, or saying you know um, because I, I have a feeling that this is probably just me, you know, rifting here a little bit, but I feel like social media has as many pros as it offers. It's kind of done like a, a bit of a, a mind fuck on, on a lot of people's minds because you mentioned the word, you know, kind of like highlights, right. Or you use trailer. That was a specific word that you use. And I feel the downside to social media, if I can call it that, is mm-hmm. that we're only seeing the trailer, the highlights of people's wins, successes, what have you, their accolades. And therefore, we're processing it like we should be doing that in that same amount of time, not understanding that we're not getting the full picture. We're not seeing 100%. when that person might have not been able to pay their rent or, you know, was couch surfing or was unemployed for X amount of months. We're not seeing that. We're just seeing kind of the end results or the final stages of the process. So I definitely yeah. like the fact that you said that you got to earn it. You got to put in the work and find a way to separate yourselves from individuals. I feel think I think that's like a lost art. I do understand the value in copying what works because there's value in doing that, right? But there's also a value in finding a way to make yourself unique and different from everyone yeah. else. Because like you you are, right? There is only, mm-hmm. you know, there is only one you. Um, and you know, let that piece that piece shine. And <clears throat> I think what you said about, you know, the the social media in particular, um, you know, and seeing some of these, some of these successes, like you know, I, I'm victim of doing it sometimes, but yeah, you got to look at like, 
you got to look at it from like a whole world perspective. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes you look at these things and you're like, you know, this person is doing this and they're, you know, they're X age or, you know, mm-hmm. they have this, this, this amount of money by this, this time. But when you actually like take a step back and look at things from a, like a statistical standpoint, yeah. like a lot of these people are in like the top 0.01% yeah. of people on the planet. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, comparing yourself to them isn't really a fair comparison. Right. And, right. you know, they talk about, you know, what it can take to get there. You know, certain people have, we don't all start at the same spot, you 1, know, in, the, in this race. Right. So some people are afforded, you know, other luxuries or, you know, opportunities and networks and things that allow them to right. you, know, you know, build up things quicker than others. Um, and so like, you, you kind of can't be social media is very easy to make things, you mm-hmm. know, be very hard on yourself, uh, you know, given right. how it's just all in front of your face. It's just, it, it can be a lot. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pull it back a little bit sometimes. 1000%. And, and to add to your intelligence there, I think the word that I was looking for that social media often doesn't provide is context, right? Yeah. That's a good, stuff, that's the right word. Yeah. The, the stuff in between. Now, Anthony, to, to follow up to that question in terms of your advice and and pro tips to an individual that wants to do what you're doing, that's listening to this podcast right now, if they were black, would you add anything different to that or would it be the exact same? I would, I would add some subtle nuances. Mm -hmm. I would say, um, I think, um, like one, I would say, don't be afraid to be first. Mm. Um, you know, love it. There are some things that you may want to do. You may not see people that look like you that are doing it. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you can't do it, you know, so don't, don't be afraid to be first. Um, and, and the other side of things is that I would say something my, my brother said to me very, very, uh, when I was very young, I didn't really understand it at first. I was, I was too young mm-hmm. to understand it. Um, but about perception being reality mm-hmm. and, you know, being cognizant of that, being aware of, you know, what your perception is to people, right. you know, both, both in your circle and out of your circle or how you, you know, how you come across. And, you know, sometimes people take that, you know, too much into, you know, too much context, but you, you know, we we're talking earlier about properly communicating right. and, you know, you know, sending emails and, you know, writing and responding in a certain way. Um, yeah. but like, you know, doing those little things, because that creates the perception of you early on, you know, when you meet people the first time, how you greet them, how you shake their hand, you know, these, whether you may be like a really good outgoing person, but mm-hmm. you know, if you come in super shy and you don't want to shake people's hands, et cetera, then the perception of you is that that's who you are. And so, um, like being cognizant and being aware of that, um, you know, through each stage, uh, each interaction of your, of your growth, I think is very important. Right. I loved all of that, man. Uh, it's so funny that you mentioned don't be afraid to be the first one. I had a, another conversation um, uh, with Akeem Burke, who is a video editor. I, I feel like you know him for MLSE. MLSE, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was saying for him, what actually ended up being uh, working out to being a great advantage is that um he wasn't afraid to be the only person in the space. So he was doing video editing for, for the OHL. Right. And he was the only person that yeah, looked like yeah. him. Right. So, you know, he wasn't afraid to get into that space. And so there's an advantage of, 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 of going into rooms where no one looks like you, where it's completely, uh, might be completely foreign to you or completely uncomfortable. So leaning into those uncomfortable spaces, mm-hmm. I really love that you said that, and the other thing about perception was so funny to me is 
years ago, a friend of mine, she coined the phrase perception management, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like what they say in, 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 in the legal world. It's not what happened is what you can, can prove. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, you might be this really nice person on the inside and actually a good person. But if your perception doesn't align with that, then people aren't going to see you as this really nice, good, human, decent being. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. You made a good point, too, about that, um, uh, about being the only person in the room. And I think there are two, you know, I I guess there's points in between, but there are two main things. You can either be like, you know, kind of, woe is me, I'm the only one in here, no one looks like me. Or you can be like, I'm the only one. (laughs) I am the only one here. I have an awesome opportunity, you know. I'm already differentiated. I can, you know, it, it, I can make something more of this by by having this opportunity, right? So, you know, sometimes it's um, it can feel like a burden, but you know that uniqueness can be used to an advantage as well. It doesn't always have to be um, perceived or actually be, you know, a disadvantage to you. One thousand percent, all about how you look at it for sure. Yeah. Um, so, Anthony, getting into my last question here, um, throughout your amazing career. What has been the best lesson you believe you've learned from um, failing and and pushing through adversity thus far? Uh, it's going to be okay. We're not saving lives. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the quiz is just saying yes. Um, Love you it. You know we, yeah. You know, I, I was, it was. It's a saying that gets said a lot in marketing, mm-hmm. and like yep. you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's true. I mean, we're talking about like. <clears throat> You know, I, I won't talk about any specific brands, but like we're like, you know, if this thing doesn't happen. We're talking about a company that makes a lot of money, maybe making a little bit less money. Mm. It's not the end. Of, it's not the end of the world. Right. And then oftentimes it may not even really mean that they make less money. Right. Mm. And I think, you know, throughout my career, I think I put you know, you get, a, you feel a lot of weight and pressure of this kind of stuff of like, you know, this, you know, especially in, in XM when it's like a one day event and it's a, you right. know, it's the only thing, you know, it's the, you know, if it doesn't go well, it's the end of the world. And like, you know, right. this is going to be so bad. And, you know, over the years, I'm like, you know, clients can be, you know, particularly nitpicky about, you know, X, Y, Z, but the consumer will never even see this or notice it, you 1, know, percent. And, and it doesn't alter their, you know, their experience at all. They still have like positive brand affinity. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I would say that's like probably, yeah, I'd say that probably is my, my biggest learning and that has helped me kind of de-stress over the years and kind of, mm. you know, take things, take things with a grain of salt and not, you know, lose sleep over some of the, some of the stuff. Cause you know, it will happen or it won't, right. I'm going to do everything in my power to make it happen. Um, but those are the two outcomes, you know? So, right. No, hundred percent. I love the fact that you called out how clients could be really nitpicky about stuff that often consumers won't even notice. And I feel the, the, if that stuff does come out, I feel it's because of the experts in the industry who are writers or bloggers, they call it out. And then the consumers are like, Oh, this was supposed to be like this. <laughs> right. It still yep. wasn't the consumer. It was like, you know, the people who write the marketing blogs every week or every day, they're the ones who call it out. But no, um, great points um, that you just mentioned there. And as a quick follow up there, Anthony, if you could go back and talk to uh, a younger version of yourself, of yourself, excuse me, what would you tell them? You're going to figure it out. Mm. It's going to be all right. Um, 
you know, those, I, I you know, I mentioned, you know, I, I used to stress a lot more than I do now right. <laughs> about, about some of these things. Um, uh, but I think kind of, I mean, obviously having the foresight of, you know, being able to look back, you know, uh, right. you know, to be able to say things are going to, things are going to be good. And I, I would also say, you know, take some time to enjoy what you're doing too, mm. you know, um, and kind of like stop and smell the roses, you know, so mm. to speak. Um, you know, when I look back, uh, you know, when I look back on my career, right. You know, when, when, uh, when Alina, uh, asked me to be, be in the, uh, when Alina asked me to be, uh, if I could be featured in the, the article and the message, you know, I was looking back on some of the things I had done in my career and mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, certain examples I want to bring up and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you look back, I'm like, I did like a lot of cool, like fun stuff, you know? And I right. you know there were times where I was just like too focused on the execution and, mm-hmm. you know, doing, doing the actual work and to like, to sit back and be like, Hey, like where you're at is like pretty cool. You know, like, you know, at one point in my career, I was at, you know, almost every major concert or event because I was working with American express, you know? And I was like, right. the time, you know, it was more like, yeah, this is work. And, you know, but you know, when I look back, I'm like, that was like pretty cool. Not a lot of people yeah. have that kind of, um, you know, have that kind of opportunity or experience. Right. So, right. um, yeah. I love that. You'll figure it out guys. You'll figure it out. I love that message. So, uh, Anthony, really quick rapid fire questions where I ask you three questions. You just got to answer. First thing that comes to your mind, um, will be the answer. So my first question to you, and I think you've already answered it, but I'm going to ask it again. What's your most favorite part about what you do? Yeah. Most favorite part is, is like just seeing the things come to life. Mm. You know, the, the, you know, the, from, you know, the process of seeing someone's initial thought, you know, a drawing on a napkin. And then they're like, you know, can you make this happen? And then, you know, however many days, months, weeks later, when it comes to life, that, that moment of realization and that, like, you know, everybody is like, how did you, this is exactly what I had in my head. How did you make this come to, you know, actually be right. real life? Um, yeah, I would say that, that moment and those, that process of getting there. Um, yeah, that's, that's my favorite part. No, and I love that. And I can relate to that because for me, seeing something that was once intangible, so a thought become mm-hmm. this tangible thing to me is the most exhilarating experience like seeing something that was inside your head literally now is something that people are interacting with touching or what have you is mind-blowing to me it's 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 so powerful to see that um the second question is what is one thing you would like to see change in the media industry oh that's a that's a deep one Mm. i can only pick one um no um Hmm. If I could only pick one, um, mm-hmm. I would say, I think I would say the, the overwork culture. Mm. Um, I think if we can get back to a, you know, a place of a place of balance, right. um, I, I think that would be one thing I would change. I think, you know, to my point earlier about, you know, we're not, you know, we're not saving lives here. Yeah. You know, we don't have to work seven days a week, all hours, you know, all right. hours of the night, you know, for these things, this, um, you know, I think changing that, that culture of, you know, you know, I, I do think that you do need to work hard and et cetera, but, right. um, you know, the idea that, you know, if you're only working 10 hours, then you're lazy, you know, isn't mm-hmm. really like, um, 
you know, isn't really a good good thing for the culture, I would say. Right. So I could take you, you're not going to work for Twitter and Elon Musk then. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how close to Elon I could be, I guess. But uh, That's fair enough. There's value in yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. In that. That's fair. Uh, the last one here, Anthony. Um, what is your favorite quote or a mantra, something that you live by? Um, there, there are a couple, um, mm-hmm. if I can uh, say a couple. So I would say yeah. one that I, that I I've said like early on in my career was that, uh, and this is like relating to stress is, is that worrying is like a rocking chair. It uh, gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Ooh, I love that. I love it. Yeah. It's one that I've tried to like live by and, you mm-hmm. know, especially in, you know, in, in the XM space, there's, there's always a lot of, um, there's a lot of thinking in your feet, you know, it's very similar mm. to like live theater and whatnot. And, you know, you can spend the time worrying about, you know, the problem that happened, or you can spend the time finding a solution. Right. And so, you know, I would say that has probably been the defining mindset of my, of my career. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm going to steal that and I'm going to use it as well. Um, <laughs> Still free. <laughs> And I encourage everyone uh, who's listening to to use that as well, because that's that's a that's a really good one. Um, so, Anthony, um, for all the people that would like to connect with you, uh, reach out to you, what would be the best way to to do so? Um, you know, any way you can get me, I guess you can <laughs> you can uh, you can find me on you can find me on Instagram, uh, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. That's how that's how we connected. Um, you know, I'm, I'll do my best to respond as quickly as I, as I possibly can. Um, and, you know, to your point about reaching out, like if there's somebody, you know, that is listening, that is in the industry, mm-hmm. you know, that wants to ask further questions that wants to know, you know, f- you know, further things about my road or, you know, how they can get involved if internships, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, don't be shy. Don't be afraid to reach out. I'll, I'll, I'd be happy to help any way that I, any way that I can. Awesome. I love it. Well, guys, uh, that concludes this episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem. And as many of you guys know, I typically like to end my podcast by saying this. If you just want to impress people, talk about your wins, your successes, your accolades, yada, yada, yada. But if you really want to have an impact on someone else's life, talk about your downfalls, those tough moments, those difficult periods, those tribulations. Those stories are the things that really move the needle in someone else's life. So with that being said, Anthony and I are out. Peace and love until the next time. 